Hey, you want to know how to make the right hiring decisions at the right time and how to make sure that your entire personnel strategy is moving forward and you get better and better. I had a great conversation with Josh Millen. He's the CEO of Criteria. They are experts at this stuff. I think you're really going to like how you can make sure you transform the HR side of your business to help your company grow. Enjoy it. Welcome to Sastery in the Making, the podcast that features the people who made the software world what it is today and the leaders who are shaping the future of technology. Here's your host, Matt Wallach. Yes, welcome. I am Matt. I am super excited to have you here. Thank you for coming. Thanks for listening if you're on the podcast. Thanks for watching if you're on YouTube. This is Sastry in the Making. We talk with amazing creators and leaders within the SaaS space to hear their story and their expertise so that you can scale your SaaS company as well. I am delighted to be joined by my special guest today, Josh Millett. Josh, how you doing? Good, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Let me tell everybody about Josh. So Josh is the founder and CEO of Criteria Corp. Really what they do is it's an assessment company dedicated to helping organizations make better talent decisions using objective, multidimensional data. You know, their suite of assessments is the most comprehensive on the market and covers aptitude, personality, emotional intelligence, and skills to provide the most robust picture of talent. And he really knows his stuff when it comes to talent and talent assessments. In fact, he's even formerly the head of a test prep company. So Josh is the expert. Once again, Josh, thanks for coming on the show. Of course. Happy to be here. Perfect. Well, tell me, I want to know what's going on with you lately and what's coming up. Yeah. So Criteria has been around for 15 years. So we're kind of in our middle age as a SaaS startup, I guess I would say. Uh, and <laughs> we're sure. really kind of in the process, Matt, of transforming into what we call a talent success company. So we really did start out, uh, as you mentioned, really in the world of assessments, and that's still the core of our of our business. Um, but we've recently kind of expanded our product vision and gotten into other areas like um, structured interviewing tools, um, team building tools and things like that. So the, the idea is really to create a, a platform that, as you mentioned in the intro, help helps companies make better, more informed talent decisions, especially around the hiring process, but uh, even post hire as well. Very cool. I definitely needed stuff. I want to go way back. So what gave you the idea to start it? How did you come up with that? Yeah, I, I guess if there's an origin story to criteria, like a lot of B2B SaaS, it, it kind of came from uh, a personal pain point. So I had a previous uh, startup, uh, a tiny company, you mentioned a, it was a test prep business that I had just sold. And um, so I moved out to the West Coast to LA where criteria is based to uh, to run this little startup in the company that had uh, acquired us. And uh, somehow I got uh, put in charge or I played a big role in, in hiring people, which was odd because I, I had no idea how to do that at that point. Um, and uh, one of the things I noticed uh, quite early on is that I was sitting through a lot of really bad interviews. And so it got me thinking in one particular interview uh, you know, where I found myself looking up at the clock and a lot of people who've been involved in hiring have had a similar kind of moment where you look up at the clock and you realize you're only 10 minutes into a, an hour long interview and that's probably too early to be looking up at the clock. So um, <laughs> it was pretty clear in that one interview that there wasn't a fit from either side. Uh, and so I started thinking about, you know, how can we use data 
to help cut down on these sort of wasted interview hours and to help companies make more uh, objective and more science-driven um, hiring decisions. And so that was really the, uh, the genesis of the idea and uh, wrote a business plan. That was, uh, that was so long ago, 15 years ago, that people were still writing business plans uh, and, uh, you know, eventually raised a little uh, angel uh, funding and, uh, and got started. Well, super cool. And uh, a lot of companies from back then are definitely not still around. So congrats on your success for making it this far. How, how did you how did you realize that, OK, we we have the testing, but now we need to move into other things like interview tools and guides. And what, what gave you that idea? Yeah, a lot of it was uh, customer led. You know, our customers started using us first uh, about five years ago, I would say. A lot of our customer base started using us as a kind of a broader hiring platform. We were initially focused in terms of our go-to-market uh, concentration on, on small and medium-sized businesses. Um, and so we got really good at, at customer acquisition in that area. It was very web-driven at that point. We've now transformed to be more, um, more focused on enterprise. Enterprise uh, business is almost half our business now, and it's mm -hmm. the fastest growing uh, segment. Um, but at, at that point, we were really focused on, on smaller businesses and they started wanting to do more things through our platform. And we found that they were, even though they initially came to us for assessments, they were kind of using us sometimes as their de facto hiring platform. Hmm. And so uh, we began to evolve the product roadmap into kind of a broader platform. And we're still on that journey. Um, so some of the uh, transformation into uh, a broader kind of talent success platform where we help companies do science-driven, evidence-based uh, talent management is organic from our own roadmap. And then we've also done a couple of acquisitions that have uh, forwarded our, our goals there. So one example is we uh, recently acquired, uh, about a year ago, we, we acquired a small Australian startup that does video interviewing, which of course, as you probably know, during COVID has is, is really uh, taken off. And uh, so we see video interviewing as a really interesting way to do interviewing in a more like rigorous structured way um, and to, to sort of inject some more objectivity and, and science into it. So, um, so in that case, you know, the, the, the platform is evolving through uh, acquisitions as well. Very cool. I love that growth pattern. And I want to go back. You mentioned that you now have, or you now have a lot of enterprise customers, you were small and medium. That's a very common, very natural way for a lot of software companies to do it. Start with the small ones, move up market, up market. But it's not always easy. You have a product that you've developed towards this small and medium customer base. You have your messaging, your sales alignment is all aimed at what these people want. But now going up market, things have changed. Did you see challenges there? And if so, how did you overcome those challenges in starting to push more for enterprise? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and you're right. A lot of companies that start kind of on the smaller size are, um, you know, undergoing that that same journey. And it comes with product challenges, messaging and marketing challenges, go to market. So it, it does require a pretty uh, fundamental evolution as a company. Uh, I wish I could say that it, in the beginning, it, it wasn't really intentional. You know, we were really focused on small businesses. And in that period of our uh, of our trajectory as a company, we were uh, totally bootstrapped. So we didn't have really any outside funding for the first like eight or nine years of our existence as a company. And so, as you know, when you're in that bootstrapping mode, you've got to be scrappy, you've got to manage for cash flow, not always for growth. 
And um, but we started at, at first really by accident, getting some some big customers signing up for our service. And um, they started to have uh, some different uh, product ideas. And so uh, that was really helpful in terms of informing the product roadmap through an enterprise lens. So mm -hmm. some of those early relationships were, were super helpful to us. And uh, in the past three or four years, so we've had uh, a couple of different investments in the company uh, from growth equity funds now. And um, in particular, the, the most recent one, which uh, we partnered with a, a group called Sumeru Equity Partners out of the Bay Area. And what they uh, saw in the business and, and were really excited about, one of the things they liked was, um, was the growth in the enterprise business that we had. Um, you know, they invested, I think, about two years ago. And so it was really a fast growing element of our business. But there were some real things we needed to do to kind of uh, accelerate it. Um, and those included, you know, different uh, product investments, um, you know, information security stuff, all, all, all the kind of standard stuff that's like table stakes in enterprise. And so we've really resourced those areas of the business um, and, and I think are now a lot more uh, enterprise ready as an organization. But you're right, it definitely it definitely um, takes a, a mind shift and it's not just in your revenue group. What we've discovered is some of the areas where you really need to be enterprise ready are, are beyond revenue. You know, they're, mm -hmm. they're in other areas that support revenue or that, that uh, link to it. And so um, for us, that's, that's been a, you know, a gradual process of incrementally uh, moving in that direction. I think we're in a good spot now. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I'm glad you were able to make that shift. It's very difficult for a lot. I've gone through it myself. So what changes have you seen? How what, are, what were the benefits that you saw come out of it? Did your churn go down? A lot of people say most churn comes from the smallest companies. Uh, did your revenue per account go up? Like, What changes have you been able to realize from that? Yeah, I mean, so all of those things, right? As 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 you know, Matt, a lot of um, a lot of the kind of standard SaaS metrics that you look look at, especially around retention profile, are just better in enterprise. Um, and especially if you think about, you know, essentially we sell hiring software, and hiring is for small businesses. It's more of a episodic, like occasional activity, right? And and some of them, as they get into growth mode, it becomes more of a constant thing. So um, a lot of times we have customers in the smaller market who, you know, don't exactly lapse or don't exactly uh, churn, but they'll, you know, they'll wait three months to renew and things like that. Sure. And uh, the churn profile is definitely much better in enterprise um, where talent acquisition is, um, I like to call it like an always on function in enterprise, right? Assuming um, that bad things aren't happening in your business, you're sort of constantly acquiring talent. Uh, and in COVID, as turnover has surged, uh, one interesting thing that's happened is the sort of threshold of size and growth for talent acquisition being a constant activity has come down. Because whereas you used to see maybe 25% turnover as an average yearly, now you're seeing 35 headed towards 40%, the highest rates of, of uh, turnover that we've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And so that just places a lot more importance on people strategy because you even if you're not growing as a company, the bucket uh, just got a lot leakier. So um, it, it really, in that sense, is um, a good environment for, for our service. Let's talk about that. So we've people talk about this great migration of talent and, and uh, the great resignation, all that. So how can companies protect against that? How can they make sure that they're increasing hiring success rates and reducing turnover? 
Yeah, that's a it's a great point, and I I haven't heard the the term great migration, so so I like that term actually. Uh, you know, you hear a lot about the great resignation, but I think um, I, I've also called it like a rotation because I think you're right. What, what's happening is if you look at we serve a lot of different industries, we we track about 17 different industries that our software is used in, and and what you do see is there's net winners and net losers here in terms of it's not just that people are quitting their jobs; they're changing industries a lot. And um, you know they're making choices around work-life balance and, and remote flexibility and also all those things that have been well publicized. And so you know they you hear a lot about labor shortage. What we see is that there's not a general labor shortage yet, uh, but there's a really acute labor shortage in certain industries. Right? Mm -hmm. If you're in transportation and logistics these days, trying to hire drivers, you you know you're you're tearing your hair out because oh, that's yeah. really hard. You know, and um, you know, but other companies hiring customer service reps who can work from home are, are doing great, you know, have plenty of applicant flow and um, are not seeing a labor shortage. So it's, it's a very nuanced picture. Um, but one of the things about doing um, what we try to encourage with our customers, which is science based talent acquisition, is that you can really drive better outcomes around, um, I would say, three areas, really. Um, the first is just you know, your hiring success rate in terms of hiring productive people who do well on the job. The second is reducing turnover. And um, that has historically, and then the third is improved uh, diversity related outcomes. And that second one of turnover has historically been, you know, a really big concern just for certain cohorts in our customer base, like areas that have really high turnover historically. So things like, think about like retail, restaurants, lodging, that kind of, that kind of, uh, service oriented, you know, turnover is always one of their biggest pain points. Uh, but what we're seeing now is, is uh, even um, in other industries, that higher turnover is becoming a, increasingly a challenge. So um, obviously there's a, a huge engagement and culture and benefits picture to that, but it all starts with, with hiring well, right? Hiring people who are a good fit. And that's where assessments and, um, and, interviews that are more objective, less subjective, and, and look at um, things that are linked to long-term performance and retention can really drive better outcomes. And we have, uh, you know, hundreds of case studies for, with our customers that, that show the, the better outcomes you can get around turnover and uh, retention from using science-based hiring tools. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine we talk about being science-based in so many other areas. And for us, a lot of listeners are SaaS. Uh, they want to make sure they're making science-based decisions for their roadmap and for their marketing and all that. Uh, why not with your people as well? I mean, it makes so much sense, but I get a sense that a lot of these companies are not doing it. Do you know about how many companies are actually doing employment assessments versus not? Yeah, it's exactly, you make a great point there, which is that I think in almost every other you know, aspect of business, certainly in SaaS businesses, but just in business in general in the U.S., you know, data has really transformed how we transact and think about our businesses in almost every area. But what's striking is that, you know, the science around what works and doesn't work in hiring, there's still some unknowns, but there's pretty broad consensus in the last like two decades. It's not even new science around some of the things that really work. And you're absolutely right, Matt, that by and large, that's not what's happening in practice. You know, uh, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think one of the reasons is, uh, you know, hiring is obviously a, a people business and we're a little bit uncomfortable with the notion of like, 
reducing people to data because we'd like to sure. think that we're more uh, more nuanced than that and more complex. And of course we are, right? Humans are infinitely complex creatures. But to my mind, that's all the more reason that we should be using science-based tools because it's such a hard area to predict well, right? There's so much we know we can't predict with any kind of tools. And what assessments are doing, um, you know, think of it as, as kind of a money ball approach. They're just uh, dramatically increasing your chances of success. They're not guaranteeing it, right? And you, we also always uh, tell our customers that you shouldn't think of this or any of our tools as like outsourcing a hiring decision to, to a software or to, to, a, to a partner, right? They know their business is much better than we do. But what we're doing is like arming them with the data to make more informed decisions. But ultimately the decisions are you know, still theirs. Sure, that makes sense. And I love that you called it the money ball approach. So uh, there's an industry right there that has gone more to data-driven decisions, baseball and all other sports. Mm -hmm. uh, many teams have moved towards you know, deciding their personnel, their human resources based on, on, uh, you know, results and, and data that they've seen on the field or on the court or the ice. Uh, it seems like we should be doing that more as well. But if you were to look at, you know, what's more important in hiring, this is something I've struggled with hiring people as well. How do, how do you feel? And, and what have you seen in the numbers there, Josh, what's more important potential, somebody who maybe isn't great now, but could become amazing or experience that they already have under their belt, but maybe they've gotten towards their, their, their peak. What do you think? Yeah. So uh, that's actually a question that I, uh, we have really strong opinions on here at Criteria. Um, and what I would say is that if you define potential, uh, I think correctly, or if you, you define, think about it in the right way, then, then potential is the overwhelming winner, right? But it's important to know that potential doesn't mean, you know, hiring someone, someone where there's no evidence they can do the job, but they just seem to have a lot of growth ahead of them. It's looking for what we call talent signals that predict long-term performance. So good critical thinkers, good problem solvers, hard workers, all these things have been shown to predict job performance across a lot of different industries. And on the other hand, experience is, uh, there's, there's a lot of evidence that experience is what statisticians would call a pretty weak signal on the other hand. So it, it has some correlation to outcomes, but it's not a terribly good predictor. And if you think about it, you know, in terms of how the hiring ecosystem actually works, and this is an example of the point you're making earlier about, you know, the science isn't being followed, is that um, so much of the hiring frameworks most companies use, use really place a huge premium on experience, right? What do you get from a resume? You get basically just a list of experience, right? Uh, and, you know, in job interviews, we ask about previous experience. And um, overall, it's been shown that experience is a not very good predictor. Um, there are, of course, exceptions, right? Like, I think if you're hiring roles where, like, they're highly specialized or they require, like, deep domain knowledge, then absolutely experience is not only a good predictor, but it's probably vital, right? Like, none of us would be comfortable with, like, uh, an inexperienced brain surgeon or, uh, you know, uh, a, a, an inexperienced uh, lawyer if we had, you know, a key case, right? So there are um, exceptions to the rule. Um, but I think that the problem with the way hiring works is that everyone thinks their roles that they're highly, that they're hiring for are highly specialized where experience is an absolute must. And actually the evidence suggests the contrary. And if you look where hiring at scale actually happens in the U S it's mostly, you know, it's not, we're not hiring high volumes of brain surgeons, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. uh, in roles like 
sales and customer success and administrative roles and um, even roles like uh, software engineers, right, which which are highly specialized and you do need knowledge to, to do. Um, there's a lot of evidence and studies that show that the best strategy for hiring software engineers is to hire really smart ones who are quick learners, because if you test them on knowledge and experience with a with a given programming language, you know, there's a good chance that programming language is going to be obsolete in 12 months, right? Mm-hmm. We uh, we did a big product release at Criteria um, a couple of years ago where we were uh, laughing at the fact that the, the 10 or 12 engineers who worked on it, none of them knew the React framework that it was written in when we had hired them, right? So they all, wow. all had learned it on the job. And, and that's kind of an example of, of what I'm saying. That's very cool. I love that. And, and, and another thing, kind of going back to, to data-driven decisions, I wanted to ask, so, you know, thinking from my perspective and, you know, what we talk about, what we teach our clients, sales, we talk about how humans are emotional and we need to, in sales, really make sure that we're heightening those emotions and getting them to use their emotion to make the decision. However, I'm sure that in the hiring process, emotion gets, get is a huge part of it. And people think, hey, I like this person. I want to hire them. I like them. And they don't use the data enough. Do you guys... You know, I've, I've seen some stuff on your blog, but do you put out any training and do you help people try to understand, hey, try looking at the data and the, and, and the, the statistics and the studies more to understand how you're going to, to get the right person? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point because we all are human. We all have emotions and uh, they can re, be really actually, uh, you know, we have an emotional uh, intelligence assessment and in sales that can be quite important, you know, the, the ability to sort of be aware there. But um, what what we find is that in a lot of uh, the the things that people do to evaluate people when they're hiring, let's take interviewing as an example, right? Uh, there's a lot of studies that show that a very high percentage, maybe 35 or 40% of interviewers have sort of made up their mind about someone in the first five minutes of the interview, mm-hmm. right? And if you think yeah. about what happens in the first five minutes, it's not terribly deep, but you know, you're sort of making uh, you're making small talk typically you're uh, you're and you're basing your impression, you know, whether you're conscious of it or not on things like, you know, physical appearance what they're wearing, uh, how they present themselves, you know, maybe if there's an icebreaker and you have something in common that sort of makes the conversation, uh, you know, sort of kickstarts it. And if you think about it, none of those things are job related. Right. Um, so, so, you know, but as humans, we, we do want to work with people we like and, uh, and that's a, that's a real dynamic, right? So screening for like toxic personalities and things in interviews is absolutely valid, but I always like to compare it to, you know, in the presidential elections, we talk, uh, there's often like mention in the press of like, which candidate would you like to have a beer with, right? <laughs> and and yep. sometimes the one who who wins that uh, more often than not is the one that wins the election, you know. But if we're electing a leader of the free world, you know, hopefully that shouldn't be the main uh, thing we use, right? It, it sure. should be about competence in the job and whatever policy ideas they have. And it's the same thing with interviews, right? Um, we want to focus on the objective things that we know predict outcomes, right? And uh, and so. Um, having a structured framework for an interview is shown to work much better than just sort of randomly asking questions or even having a list of questions and asking some to some candidates and others to others, right? So it's it's really important to do interviewing in a rigorous way 
like in a in an evidence-based way where you ask the same questions and you score the candidates on the questions. Um, it's a little it's a little harder to do interviews that way, but it works much better in terms of like creating, you know, the likelihood of a good hire. Awesome. Yeah, a great answer. I love it. So so wrapping up here, I want to make sure that people in our audience who are growing software companies have some good direction. What advice do you have for other software leaders starting out? How can they, you know, follow what you guys have done to scale your company, but also make sure they're getting the right people on board? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think we, we certainly had some missteps along the way. Um, and um, one thing I think a lot about as I sort of reflect on the, the 15 years, well, there's a couple of things. I think um, we had a brilliant engineer, um, a guy named Wayne, who became our CTO. And so he was really um, instrumental in building the, the, the product from the uh, day one. And uh, but because he was so great, we, uh, we relied on him uh, a little too much in the sense that we went a long time being underinvested in product you know, um, because he was so productive and so, and, and had a good product vision as well. And so, um, you know, both our investors, when, um, when they came in the first one, you know, six years ago, and then the, the next one, uh, you know, about two years ago, um, they both said, but you know, well, you're, you're underinvested in product. And, and we like to think of ourselves as a product driven company. We're very passionate about our product. We're even a little obsessed with it. And, so that was a, a strange realization. And I, and I think like over investing in product early on to the extent that you can is, is not a, not a bad thing. So if I had to do it over again, I'd do that. And um, another thing is just around hiring the right people is um, yeah, you use tools that, you know, work. And so I think um, hiring for uh, subjective uh, reasons it can get you in a lot of trouble. So obviously we, we use our own tools there uh, and um, and have uh, been uh, really fortunate to have a great team and, and pretty low turnover historically. So That's awesome. Really, really cool. I appreciate that answer. That really should help. So I want to know, Josh, how can our audience learn more about you and Criteria Corp? Yeah, probably the easiest ways uh, to learn more about uh, our company is to go to our website at criteriacorp.com. There's a lot of white papers and a lot of good content there, even if you're not in the market for, for hiring software. Um, and so uh, you can find great info on our website. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. So people can find me there if they want to reach out. Okay, perfect. We'll make sure we put all of that in the show notes and in the description in YouTube as well. But Josh, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Matt. It was really fun. Likewise. And thank you all for coming. Really appreciate you being here. Make sure you are subscribed. You don't want to miss out on any other awesome leaders and creators like Josh. So go ahead and hit subscribe. Some good stuff coming up for you in the next few weeks. Thank you for coming and we will see you next time. Take care.